Good morning, welcome, welcome. <clears throat> uh, Faye was going to be preaching today, but uh, his wife uh, has been sick, and so they've been taking care of each other there. And so if you could please keep them in your prayers. And um, today we have Pastor Ron Childers. Ron is working to plant the Garden Church on the south side of Chicago. And he is from Selma, Alabama, and he served in leadership at the Pacific Garden Mission for many years. And he's a recent graduate of Moody Theological Seminary. And then uh, today we'll be reading from Luke 5, 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And as they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. And Good morning. Good morning, First Free family. How y'all doing today? Amen, amen. It's, uh, it's a blessing to be here today, and I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I feel a little bit more excited than I usually do. And uh, I think it may have something to do with the worship team. It's either that or the coffee. One, <laughs> one of the two, but I got like an a, a extra sense of energy today. I, um, that song, really, I don't have much, but I have a heart. For Jesus, and it really uh, spoke to me. So I just thank the worship team for that. Let's just give them a round of applause. <laughs> Amen. And I, uh, me and my wife, we are, are honored to be here with you guys this morning. That's my beautiful wife, Claudine. And uh, she's the one that holds everything in the road because I'm all over the place. And uh, so we just honored and blessed to be here with the First Free family today. Um, I thank Pastor Matt for uh, opening his pulpit uh, for me, and also uh, Steve McCausland. I don't know if you guys uh, are familiar with him, but he's the uh, Chicagoland Superintendent for the Great Lake District of the EFCA. 
We are new uh, members to the EFCA family. God has miraculously worked in my life and now has offered me the opportunity, the glorious opportunity to plant uh, a church, the Garden Church on the south side of Chicago in the Bronzeville neighborhood. And I'm, amen, amen, God is amazing. He's doing a lot, not only in our area, but all over the world, no matter what we see in the news and everything, God is still on the throne and he's still Lord. And, um, and we serve a powerful and miraculous God. And anyway, uh, I serve as the lead pastor of the Garden Church. And it's always kind of funny when I say that and introduce myself like that because I serve as the lead pastor, but that's because I'm the only pastor. So I just figured I'd take that title, the lead pastor, okay? So I'm going to run with that. Uh, and even further than that, right now, I'm the only member. <laughs> uh, outside of my wife, she's the second member, so the church is, the church is growing every day. <laughs> but we are a, a brand new church plant on the south side, uh, the Garden Church, where our mission, thank you, brother. Thank you very much. I love the hospitality here at this church. You guys have an amazing thing going on here, and I know the Holy Spirit is with you. Um, the Garden Church, we exist to cultivate hope through freedom in Christ. And uh, there's a story behind that, but for sake of time, uh, I'm not going to go into that right now, but maybe I get a chance to share with some of you guys uh, after this. So I stand here before you as the lead pastor of the Garden Church, and it's funny, when I think about what God does and how he works, it oftentimes seems that God chooses to use those who feel the least likely or capable to be used by God. You may be able to understand where I'm coming from depending on where you are at this stage in your life. But it seems like God chooses to use those who may be the least likely candidates to be used by him. We see this in the Bible throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Let's look at Gideon. Gideon seemed to have or be worried about a physical impediment or his stature, his size or something like that. And Gideon, in Judges chapter 6 verse 15, Gideon responds to the Lord. They're being attacked by the Midianites. God calls Gideon to come fight for Israel and lead his people uh, against the Midianites, but Gideon responds to God this way. He says, pardon me, Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And not only that, I am the least in my family. But God still chose to use him. We look further. It may be uh, a speech impediment or a fear about communicating, which I have. If you knew where I come from, it's a miracle that I'm even up here speaking to you guys right now, but God is a miracle-working God. It may be a speech impediment or a fear of communicating. I share with people all the time that it's easier for me to stand up here and speak to hundreds of people rather than pulling someone one-on-one -on -one and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I don't know how that works, but it seems easier. So it may be a fear of communication. We look at Moses. God tells Moses to go get his people from Pharaoh, and you know the story. In Exodus 4, chapter 10, I mean, Exodus chapter uh, 4, verse 10, Moses responds this way. He says, pardon your servant, Lord, Lord, 
I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue, but God still chose to use him. Let's look again. Maybe it's uh, socioeconomic status or, or, or where you are in society. You may feel ostracized and unworthy of being used or serving God. We look at uh, Queen Esther in Esther chapter 4, verse 11. Her uncle Mordecai tells her to go speak to uh, the king about what's going on with the people in this edict that has been issued by, uh, by the king to kill the Jews. Listen how Esther responds. She says, any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has put one law that they be put to death. So we have Gideon, we have Moses, we have, we have Esther, and then in our passage today, we will look at uh, our brother Peter. Peter, the one who denies the Lord three times, but then Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So it may be a spiritual uh, impediment. You may feel that because of the sin that you've been dealing with in your life or besetting sin that you've been wrestling with uh, for a while now that you feel as a Christian, you should have victory over that, but you have a victory one day, but then next week it, come, it comes back to you, and then the enemy uses that to try to make you feel that you're unworthy to serve the Lord. Saints, I want to share with you today that that's a lie from the pit of hell. God still chooses to use us, not for us to make light of our sin, because we have to deal with that through the Holy Spirit. But it's not our power, it's not our strength, it's not who we are that makes us worthy to serve a holy and righteous and powerful God. It's about who he is. It's about who he is. So I stand up here before you not because of anything that I have done. I stand up here before you because of what God has done in me. And he deserves the glory. So God still chooses to use those who feel like they may not be worthy to serve the Lord. Let me just bring it home just a little closer. I, um, I grew up uh, in a home, and you've heard the story over and over, Without uh, a mother and father in the home, I was raised by my grandmother. But because of the way I grew up, not having a mother and father in the home, I always dealt with a nagging sense of feeling out of place, feeling like an outsider, feeling like I didn't belong. In any situation I found myself, I couldn't get comfortable in my own skin. And because of that, I just felt out of place. For instance, uh, in school, we would go to school functions, whether it's a sporting event or it's a ceremony or a banquet or whatever it may be. I would see other kids with their moms and their dads and their families, and they all look happy and, and everything. But that, there I was alone, and I started to question, what's wrong with me? Why do I not have that? Why can't I experience that joy? And this existence, it birthed within me deep-seated feelings of insecurity. And unfortunately, some of it I still wrestle with today. Deep-seated feelings of resentment. 
not only towards the world, which got me in a lot of trouble throughout my life, but also towards myself. What I didn't realize at the time and that I understand now is that because of the way I grew up, I would always walk around trying to put on a facade of being more than I felt like I was on the inside. I always walked around, felt like I'm wearing a mask because I didn't want people to get close to me. I didn't want people to know who I really was on the inside, a frightened and insecure little boy just longing for a sense of belonging, longing for a sense of security that always seems to exist right outside of my reach. No matter how much I thought I had attained to something, belonging and security always seemed to exist right outside of my reach. I was searching for something and I didn't know what it was. So let me bring it even a little closer to home. Maybe some of you here today, if you would be honest with yourself, if you would be honest with us right now, you would probably say, Ron, that's amazing because I felt the way that you have felt. Or you may be sitting here right now and say, Ron, that's exactly what I'm going through right now. Well, my brothers and my sisters, I'm glad that you're here today because we are here to get into the Word of God. And I believe that the Word of God has something to speak to our hearts when we wrestle with feelings of insecurity, when we wrestle with feelings of resentment, when we wrestle with feelings of feeling like an outsider, when we wrestle with feelings of being at a loss, being at a loss for peace and contentment. What I want to share today is when all seems lost, we can find everything in Jesus. When all seems lost, you can rest assured that you can find everything in Jesus. Family, would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us another day. And Father, most of all, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, that we may be able to even experience this day. And Lord, through your spirit, I ask that you would help us to see that even this day is a miracle. Lord, it's 24 hours that have never been here before. And Lord, once they're gone, it's 24 hours that will never be here again. But your word teaches us that your mercies are new every morning. And Father, there are some brothers and sisters in this sanctuary this morning. They need a fresh washing of your mercy. Lord, your word says in Psalms 103, verse 8, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. 
Lord, through your, your word today, through your holy scriptures, will you allow that steadfast love to wash over us anew this morning? Father, as John said, help me to decrease that you may increase. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you one thing. Before we get into the passage today, I want to share something with you. If you could, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke chapter 3 for me. I want you to see something that really struck me in an amazing way when I read it. And I had read it several times, but one time I was reading it, I was like, huh, why didn't I see that before? It was amazing. Talking about being an outsider. Talking about being an outsider. I want us to see something. Luke chapter 3. I'm just reading these two verses now. This is not our passage, but um, it speaks to our passage today. Talking about being an outsider. Listen at this. Luke chapter 3. Verse 1 says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Etyria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. You see what I see? You have all of these big name people, all of these high position people. You have the governors, you have the tetrarchs, and brothers and sisters, I swear to God, I don't know what a tetrarch is. <laughs> I do know that I don't want to mess with them. A tetrarch, imagine somebody coming to you and say, the tetrarch would like to see you. <laughs> I'd be, please don't take me to the tetrarch. So I don't know what a tetrarch is, but he sounds like a powerful person. So you have these governors, you have tetrarchs, and then you have priests. You have all these high-name, big-class people, but the Bible says that the word of God went to a crazy man in the wilderness dressed in fur, eating locusts. Talking about an outsider. It seems like the word of God would have went to one of those people. It also seems like when our Lord and Savior came to this world in the flesh, he would have went to the church folk. But the Bible says he went to the prostitutes. He went to the sinners. He went to the liars. He went to the thieves. He went to the homeless people. He went to the sick people. Who are you hanging out with today? As a follower of Christ. The outsider, talking about being an outsider. The word of God went to John in the wilderness. That's amazing. So without further ado, let's just talk about our passage. Our passage today is coming from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, which my brother read earlier. And we all know Luke. Luke, Dr. Luke, we call him. Uh, he wrote this gospel sometime between A.D. 60 and A.D. 70. Luke was a physician. He also was a companion of Paul. Luke wanted his readers to know that the gospel that they had been hearing and the gospel that he is writing about is a gospel that they can hang their faith on. That's why he was so meticulous in writing it. Not only for the uh, 
uh, the Jewish uh, Messianic Jews that believed in Christ, but also for the Gentiles. Luke was writing for the Gentiles. He was a Gentile himself. So those who felt like they was outside of the people of God, he wanted them to know also that the gospel was for them and that the gospel was true. I grew up not understanding that the gospel was for me too. Prior to our text in chapter 5, John has been preaching repentance and, and baptizing in the Jordan. Jesus' glory was manifested when he came to that Jordan was baptized by John. The Bible tells us that the Spirit descended upon Jesus and the heavens opened up and a booming voice came out and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Sometimes we are removed from that, but if we place ourselves in that situation, can you imagine being, uh, watching John baptize Jesus and then seeing the Spirit of God descending upon him and then hear a booming voice coming from heaven, making this declaration. Sometimes being 2,000 years removed from these events, we can get desensitized to the power that's really taking place in the scriptures, but I'm asking you to place yourself there. The Bible tells us that after after the Spirit descended upon Jesus, that that same Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness for him to be tempted by Satan. Brothers and sisters, I want to share, sometimes we find ourselves in a difficult place, not because of anything bad that we've done, but maybe because we're trying to do good for Jesus. The Bible says the Spirit of God sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. You may be in the wilderness right now because that's where God wants you to be. The question is, are you going to look for him in this dark period of of your soul? And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. After gaining victory over Satan in the wilderness through the word of God, Jesus goes to his hometown, to his homeboys, to his homegirl, to his church folk. And uh, the Bible says that they at first received his word gladly, but then by the end of uh, that chapter prior, um, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. His own people had rejected him. So now it's time for Jesus to call his first disciples. And this is what we're going to look at today. Jesus calling his first disciples. And I pray that as we look at this today, that uh, you would get something that you're able to hang your faith on, hang your hat on, and give you strength and encouragement to continue to walk the the course that Jesus has called all of us to. So let's look at it, the text. Uh, Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to just go back real quick. Excuse me, I'm going to just go back real quick. And I do want to read back through it. And I would just ask you to hear these words as, as we read back through Luke chapter 5. The word of God says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which we also know as the, the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Remember that. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. And to me, knowing Jesus, it seemed like that would have been an intentional decision uh, for Jesus to get into Simon's boat, right? He got into one of the boats, the the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little, little from the shore. Then he sat down and talked to people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water. Sometimes Christ calls us out into the deep water, not the comfortable shallow water that you can stand on 
Because if you can stand, then you're doing things yourself in your own power, right? Sometimes he calls us out to where we can't feel the bottom. Where we feel like we're thrashing around trying to save our lives. Sometimes he intentionally calls us out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Praise God. When Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. My brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today that... uh, We're in this sanctuary right now because when we leave, we should be encouraged to fish for people. It's not that so we can feel good until we're back next Sunday. Nah, it's so that when we leave here, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the Holy Spirit will be encouraging us to fish for people. When the last time you went fishing? Some of us are being called to start fishing Monday morning. But remember, you may feel unworthy, but it's not you that's going to be doing it. It's the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. You can't do it anyway. So you don't even have to wrestle with that. Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. If I can sum it up in one sentence, what's taking place in this one passage is this. In a moment of great loss, in a moment of great darkness for Peter and his companions, he responds in faith. He responds in faith and experiences the glory of Jesus. So some of you are going to walk out this morning and you're not going to be sure about what I said. You're not going to be sure about what you should do. I want to encourage you to do this. Just respond in faith. Jesus said, put out into the deep. Peter said, Lord, we've been out there all night. But because you said it, I'm going to do it. Respond in faith. That's what he's asking. He's not asking you to do anything more than that. In a moment of great loss for Peter, he responds in faith and experiences Jesus' glory. My brothers and sisters, when all seems lost, you can find everything in Jesus. So I want to break this passage up into two parts, the first half and the second half. The first half is 1 through 5, the second half is 6 through 11. And I just want us to look at a couple of things for these next few minutes in these two halves that I pray will be able to speak to your hearts and speak to your souls and speak to your minds and speak to your spirits that would encourage you to respond in faith as disciples of Christ, because that's what you are. And if you are disciples of Christ, then you are called to go fishing. 
Verses 1 through 5, Peter responds in faith to the call of Jesus. So three things I want us to look at in verses 1 through 5. The first one is this. For Peter to respond in faith to the call of Jesus, three things. The first one is this. A hunger for the word of God. Do you have a hunger for the word of God? And I'm not here to to point fingers at anybody because if you knew me, before I stood up here all polished and good looking, I must say, if I can throw that in. (laughs) Excuse me, excuse me. (laughs) Uh, Before that, I was a mess. So I'm not standing up here like I have it all together or like I had it all together. I'm standing up here just to say that If you don't have it all together, you're right where God wants you to be. Because it's his spirit that that dwells within us that's going to cleanse us from the inside out. However, it's going to start with the hunger for the word of God. So that's number one. Number two, an offer from the son of God. There's going to be an offer from the Son of God. I don't know what that's going to look like in your context today, but you can rest assured that God, through Christ Jesus, is offering you something this morning. A hunger for the Word of God, an offer from the Son of God, and then number three, a trust in the promise of God. So let's look at the first one, a hunger for the Word of God. Verses one through three, the Word of God says, One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him. Why were they crowding around him? Listening to the word of God. In Mark chapter 3, in this same uh, passage, which Mark is a synoptic gospel of of Luke, meaning that Mark shares some of the same story that Luke shares. Um, In Mark, Mark writes about what's going on at this time. And Mark, if you go back and read Mark chapter 3, Mark says that people were coming from all around the area of Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem, from um, other places all around the area of Galilee, trying to get to Jesus. And they were like pressing in on Jesus, trying to hear his teaching and trying to hear what it is that he had to say. So there was a hunger for the word of God. When I came from, Pacific, uh, came from Selma, Alabama to Pacific Garden Mission, the reason I came is because I was sitting in my grandmother's porch contemplating taking my life. And I was thinking about how I was going to do it. Was I going to blow my brains out? Sorry to be so graphic, but that's... The, the, the true story was I going to take a, a handful of pills was I going to step in front of a train or a bus and Jesus met me in a miraculous way which led me to come into Pacific Garden Mission and when I came to Pacific Garden Mission is where I got saved I asked Jesus I said if you're real will you come into my heart and change my life because this life I don't want it as a matter of fact I was going to take it if you're real Will you come into my heart and change my life? And Jesus came to my heart and changed my whole existence that day. However, I had a problem. I knew that God wanted to use me. And I knew that I was changed on the inside. But I didn't like to read the Bible. I couldn't understand it. It was difficult. It had all these stories. It seemed all over the place. And it was just giving me a headache. And, and you know, I was like, Lord... If you're going to use me, you're going to have to give me a desire to read your word because I don't like to read it. And I was talking to him just like that. And do you know 
But then the next day or two, I had an insatiable desire for the word of God. So much so I would be walking around the halls of Pacific Garden Mission like this, reading the Bible, uh, bumping into people on the way to lunch. And I just couldn't get enough of it. Jesus Christ miraculously showed up in my life again. Why did I say that? Because James says you have not because you ask not. Somebody in here today needs to ask God to give them a hunger for his word. That's what prayer is all about. Prayer is so powerful because we have the opportunity to talk to the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we have these problems in our lives and we wonder why we struggle with them and and have to go through it and why we have no power over it. Have you asked the creator of the heaven and the earth to help you in that situation? So there was a hunger for the word of God. There's so much more I can say, but I got to remember, I got to keep going. There was a hunger for the word of God. Not only that, there was an offer from the Son of God. Let's look at verses 3 and verses 4. Verse 3 says, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. The first thing I don't want us to miss is this. The Bible says he asked him to put out a little from the shore, an offer from the Son of God. Jesus politely asked Peter, can you see that happening? Put yourself in a situation. Jesus is sitting in there in the boat, and he says, Peter, Will you uh, put out a little into the deep? You know, he's asking Peter to put out a little into the deep. Why do I highlight that? Because our God is a gracious God. Remember, I said in Psalm 103, uh, verse 8, it says, uh, the Lord is merciful and what? And gracious. Meaning that he's not going to force himself into your life. If you don't want him in, he's not going to beat down the door and kick it in. As a matter of fact, uh, John in Revelation is writing about the churches in uh, Asia Minor. He says that one of the churches, Jesus was standing at the door. You know. Can you imagine Jesus standing at the door of his own church, knocking to get in? The Bible goes on to say, Jesus says, I'm here. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Somebody in here today, Jesus has been standing outside of the, the door of your heart knocking, but the door remains closed. And then we're so trifling that we'll leave the door closed, but then when life gets unbearable, we want to blame Jesus. And then we want to go search for another Savior. That search led me into a 20-year struggle with alcohol and drug abuse. Looking for something to fill this void that was on the inside of me when the whole time my Lord and Savior was standing at the door of my heart saying, Ron, Will you let me in? Will you let me in? The Bible says that he asked Peter to put out a little from the shore. Let's move on. It says, then he sat down and talked to people from the boat. And I would suggest to you that when he sat down and talked to people from the boat, all those people, I would suggest that Peter and the disciples was right there listening. 
So they must have been hearing these miraculous words that Jesus was sharing. Why do I say that? Because let's look at verse 4. It says in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Now look, so if it's true that Peter was sitting there listening, can you imagine that Peter may be astonished by what Jesus was saying? And then after Jesus finished teaching, he looks at Simon. Verse 4 says, when he had finished speaking, I'm not making this up because some of y'all looking at me like y'all think I'm making this up. I'm not making this up. It's right here. Look at it with me. This is not me. This is the word of God. Look at it with me. He says in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now I don't want to miss this. First he asked him, remember he asked him to put out, now look what's happening. He says, put out into the deep. In the Greek, that is an imperative statement. Meaning that it's not up for discussion. He told him to put out. So I don't want us to miss this. Look at what happened. First, he graciously asked him. I believe he asked him because he was giving him a choice. You can accept or deny it. Peter could have said, Lord, no, I'm not going to do that. We've been out there all night. I'm not going to do that. I'll tell you what. I refuse to do that. I'm going to lean on my own understanding. So he asked him first. But now Peter's listening. So the Lord comes back to him and then he tells him, put out. I believe Peter had a change of heart at that moment when he was listening to Jesus' preaching. And at that moment, he has spiritually became a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. So now that he's a follower of Christ, Christ don't ask no more. He tells him what to do. If you claim to be a disciple of Christ, he's not asking you. He's telling you to go catch fish. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? So there's a hunger for the word of God. There's an offer from the son of God. And then the last thing in this part, there's a trust in the promise of God. Let's look at verse five. Verse five says, Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything and it's just funny to me that Peter trying to qualify this with Jesus maybe in the midst of this he hoping Jesus would say okay okay I see what you're saying don't do it don't you see that because that's what I would be doing I've been like Jesus we've been out there all night because think about it they're tired they're hungry they don't have anything to eat because they didn't catch any fish they got to go back to their family and their family at home eagerly anticipating the catch because now they're about to eat. Now they're about to make some money. This has all got to do with their commerce and their livelihood. And now they feel a deep dread, a deep sense of loss because they got to go back to their children and to their families and say, we have nothing. And Peter's trying to get Jesus to understand this turmoil that he's going through. And now you're telling me to go back out there? Listen, I'm not saying this. Listen to what Simon said. He said, Simon, Simon, verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night. I can see him shaking his head like this too. We worked all night and haven't caught anything. But, that might be the most powerful word in this passage. But, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, Peter's saying this because 
He believes in who Jesus is. Not only has he just heard this powerful teaching, but if you look at the chapter before this, verse 4, the Bible tells us that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. She had a fever, and Jesus rebuked the fever, and it left, and then she automatically got up and started feeding them and serving them. And that's amazing. When Jesus saves you, you automatically want to start serving. Some of you sitting here saying that you saved today. Do you have deep-seated need to serve? Because the Bible teaches that that's the result of salvation. You want to serve the Lord. You don't want to rest in your salvation and say, okay, I'm saved now, so I'm just going to wait till Jesus come back. Now nah, we have a task. We have things that we got to be doing. So Peter had a trust in Jesus because he saw all the things that Jesus had been, done, had been doing before. So here we come. So Peter is not doubting what Jesus is saying. What I think is going on here, the reason that Peter is, is saying, Lord, we've been out there all night is because it's going to make him look foolish. Not that he has any doubt because remember chapter 4, you can go read it. He saw Jesus perform a miracle so he know that Jesus is a miracle working uh, God. I just think that Peter is going through this right now because Jesus is asking him to do something that's very foolish. His partner's going to look at him. You know, they're cleaning nets. They're getting ready to go home. They're thinking about how they're going to talk to their wives and their children. And, you know, they think about that. What am I going to say? I done failed again, feeling less than a man, you know, cleaning the nets. And Peter seeing them doing this. And Jesus like, hey, we finna go back out. And Peter like, oh, we've been out there all night. You know what? We haven't caught anything. I'm going to look like a fool if I tell them, let's go back out there. But then he says, but I remember you saved my mother-in-law. I remember what you just taught us. And because you say so, I'm going to go back out. When God called me to plant the garden church, I sat in my office in Pacific Garden Mission. I wrestled a lot. I wrestled a lot. And one day I found myself packing up all my stuff. I had boxes everywhere and my office was a mess and I was packing up everything. And um, a sense of fear and dread came over me. So much so I almost started crying in my office. Reason being because I had packed up everything and had it in boxes, but I didn't have anywhere to go. And when it hit me, because people would come by my office when they see them packing because, you know, praise God, they love me. And I had been there for 12 years and, you know, I was in leadership and people would come by my office and say, Ron, where are you going? And too often I would say, I don't know. So it hit me and I almost started crying and I, I started praying to God. I was like, Lord, you called me to this, but I'm terrified. I don't know where I'm going. And in another miraculous event. He gave me peace about the situation I was in. For the sake of time, I won't go into that either. But um, the point I'm making is this. We got to trust God. We got to trust God. And most of the time, the things that he calls us to is going to look foolish. It's not going to be logical. But do you know that our God is not a logical God? He is a miraculous God. Miracles defy logic. So if you're going to walk in the miracles that he's calling you to, then you got, you got to stop trying to process it in your, your finite brain. Our God is infinite. The Bible says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways 
are loftier than our ways. So if we try to put God in a box that we can figure out, then he's not a God that we want to serve. If you can figure out God, then it's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there was a trust in the promise of God. So let's just keep moving. And I'm sorry, I always lose track of time, but... um, Verses 6 through 11. So in that first part, Peter responds in faith to the call of Jesus, verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through 11, what the Bible teaches us is that Peter's response reveals Jesus' glory. Peter's response reveals Jesus' glory. And three things about that. Three things about this is, one, the action preceded the blessing. The action preceded the blessing. Number two, Jesus' glory led to Peter's confession. I know it sounds like some, 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 just some words right now, but I promise it's going to all come together. Just bear with me. Number one, the action preceded the blessing. Number two, Jesus' glory leads to Peter's confession. And then number three, a proper view of Jesus puts everything in perspective. A proper view of Jesus puts everything in perspective. So let's look at number one. Now remember, this is the second half, verse 6 through 11. And the one sentence that I could share in verse 6 through 11 that sums it up is Peter's response reveals Jesus' glory. Verses 1 through 5, Peter responds in faith to the call of Jesus. Verses 6 through 11, Peter's response reveals Jesus' glory. The action preceded the blessing. Let's look at verses uh, 6 through 7. When they had done so, the first sentence... Nothing took place in the spiritual realm until they had done what Jesus told them to do. Some of you need a miracle in your life here today. It may be in a marriage that you're you're struggling in. It may be an ailment in your body. It may be a wayward child. It may be a strained relationship. Whatever it is, you need a miracle to take care of. And you've been praying to God, you've been pleading to God, you've been asking God, and nothing seems to be taking place. Why? Maybe God is saying, yeah, I'm ready to do that, but I need you to do something first. Have you thought about that? I'm ready to do what it is that you're asking me to do. But are you ready to do what I'm asking you to do? The action preceded the blessing. Verse 6 says, when they had done so. Look at what happens next. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And it wasn't only a blessing for them. It was a blessing for others. Some of you have been praying about, a, praying about a situation for someone that you love and nothing is happening in their lives. Could it be that God is telling you to do something before he does something in the lives of the person that you've been praying about? The Bible says that when they had done so, not only was Peter and his crew blessed, but look, it says, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boats. 
So everybody was blessed. And as a church, we've been called to walk in faith, to walk in the Spirit, so the world can be blessed. We hear the stuff that's going on in the news in Chicago on the south side where we're going to plant the church on the, on the west side, on the, the northwest side, the north side. And we're wondering why we're hearing these acts of violence and it seems like people are going crazier and crazier. Our politicians are running around like chickens with their heads cut off and we wonder why and want to point fingers. Could it be that God is telling the church to do something and we're not doing it? So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Number one, the action preceded the blessing. Number two, Jesus' glory leads to Peter's confession. I'm running short of time, so I'm going to have to run through this. Jesus' glory leads to Peter's confession, verses 8 through 9. Verse 8 says, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When they had this catch of fish after being out there, Peter knew that another miracle had been f- performed by his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he said that the manifest glory of Jesus that's overwhelmed him, like when the Spirit descended upon Jesus and the heavens opened and the Lord said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It was like that same type of moment. Peter saw these fish, he saw the glory of Jesus, and he fell to his knees in the presence of of the, glories of, of the glory of Jesus. Jesus' glory leads to Peter's confession. Peter says, Lord, I am a sinful man. Some of us, we need to understand that no matter what accolades we got, no matter what position we have in society, no matter how much money we got in the bank, all we can do in the presence of Jesus' glory is fall to our knees and say, Lord, I am a sinful man. I am a sinful woman. That's all I am in the presence of you. When we're at that point, that's when Jesus is able to use us. Remember, I opened up and said that it's interesting how God chooses to use those who feel the least worthy of being used by him. Do you feel like that? Or do you feel that God should use you because of, you know, the letters you have behind your name or the money you got in the bank account? You remember the Pharisee and the, 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 the sinful man uh, 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 praying and the Pharisee, let's say, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like this person. You know, I fast, I pray three times a day, I do this, I tithe, I do that. And the Bible says that God rejected him, but the man that came to, to the Lord and dropped his head and said, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm a sinful man. And the Bible says that he was uh, justified. Before the presence of God. So the action preceded the blessing and Jesus' glory revealed. uh, Jesus' glory led to Peter's confession of sin in his life. And then the last part, a proper view of Jesus puts everything in perspective. Verses 10 and 11, and we're, we're wrapping it up. Verse 10 says, and so when James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, uh, then said, uh, I'm sorry, and so were James and John. The sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. For now on, you will fish for people. From now on, we're supposed to be fishing for people, brothers and sisters. Then lastly, so they pulled their boats up 
to own shore and left everything and followed him. And it's interesting to me that the whole point of them being out there all this time was because they wanted to catch fish, right? So now they have been blessed with two boats full of fish that the Bible says was about to sink. But do you see what happened? They left all of that and followed Jesus. Some of us are holding on to some things that we need to leave. We find our security in all the wrong places. After Jesus' glory was revealed, they left everything. My last point was what? A proper view of Jesus. If you see the glory of Jesus and his manifest presence in your life, everything else seems minuscule. I'm going to share it to you in the, uh, the words of our dear brother, uh, Paul. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, what is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He goes on to say, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul says, I consider everything else garbage that I may gain Christ. Some things in our lives we put in too much stock, too much value in. Jesus says next to him, anything else is rubbish. Some of us need a proper view of Christ in our lives. So in a moment of loss, in a moment of great darkness, Peter responds in faith and experiences Jesus' glory. The glory of Jesus, and this is the big idea I want to share with you today. The glory of Jesus shines brightest during the darkest periods of your life. So my brothers and sisters, if you're in a dark period right now, look for the glory of Jesus. Because that's where he shines the brightest. Bishop Ryle, who was an uh, a Anglican bishop in um, the 19th century, he was the bishop of uh, Liverpool for a while. He shares a story about an Englishman who had been traveling in the States for uh, about a year. Where within this year, he meets this Indian man and they become real close friends. But it's one thing about this Indian man that uh, the Englishman couldn't figure out. It was the fact that he was always talking about this Jesus. He always had a smile on his face. He always seemed to have a lot of energy. He always talking about how he loves Jesus and singing songs and sharing Jesus with people. And this Englishman couldn't figure it out. So one day, even though he was reserved, he was like, okay, I'm just going to ask him, what is it? Why is he does that? So one day he walked up to this, his friend, the Indian, and he says, tell me, ever since I've been knowing you, you've always been talking about this Jesus and you always seem to have a joy in your heart and you're always smiling and you're always sharing, you know, about this Jesus with people. Why do you do that? And the Indian that was walking with him, he stops and he kneels down on the ground and he starts picking up leaves and twigs and he puts all the leaves and twigs in a circle and he's putting it in a circle. Then he gets a worm, he finds a worm, he picks the worm up, and he puts the worm in the circle of leaves and twigs. Then he lights the twigs and leaves, and there's a ring of fire that's going around the worm. The worm feels the heat, so he tries to escape. 
He moves to one end of the circle. And I'm sorry, it's so dramatic. She's terrified. <laughs> She's like, how can that happen? And I'm glad you're feeling that way. But uh, the worm goes to one way and he feels the heat. So he comes back towards the middle. He tries to go another way. He feels the heat. He comes back to the middle. He tries to go another way. He feels the heat. He comes back to the middle. So finally, the worm understands that he can't escape. So he curls up in the middle and just prepares to die. At that moment, the Indian reaches his hands in the circle and he picks the worm up and pulls him up and places him close to his heart. And then he looks at his friend, the Englishman, and he says, I was that worm. I was destined for hell's fire and Jesus reached into my dark situation and he pulled me out and put me close to his heart. And that's why I talk about Jesus all the time. My brothers and sisters, I was that worm. I was sitting outside of my grandmother's house contemplating taking my life and Jesus reached into my situation and pulled me out and put me close to his heart. And that's why I'm here today talking to you about Jesus. My question is, has he pulled you out of a dark situation? And if he has, who are you telling about Jesus today? First Free Family, what I want you to remember today is this. When all seems lost, we can find everything in Christ. I love you and God loves you. Have a blessed day.